so really lovely to be here with you, and uh, I hope that this morning's message encourages you. Uh, we're going to be continuing with the series on Philippians, which um, Ant has started, and, and uh, in the series so far, Ant has looked at uh, the beginning of the book of Philippians, the first couple of verses at the introductory greetings, and how those introductory greetings really helped us see how Paul valued the church and how he valued every single person in the church as saints of God, as God's called out ones. Um, because I think for Paul, he didn't see church as a hierarchy of congregation and elders and deacons, but he saw it as a family where everyone uses their gifts and people may function in those gifts differently, but we leaders lead alongside and we're a, a family together. And then Paul goes on in his letter after that, is he goes on to say, um, after he gives this opening greeting, he goes on to pray for the Philippians in verses 3 to 11. And here he gives thanks for them and he expresses his genuine love and affection for them as his brothers and sisters. And we spoke about the importance in church community of, of letting love be genuine, that we really do um, be tender and cherishing of our relationships. I know this morning at the men's camp, um, Ant was speaking about covenant with the guys, that we're not in church out of convenience, but we're at, church is a place of covenant where we really knit our hearts. And so you have to open your heart to do that, but that also leaves you vulnerable that your heart could get hurt, isn't it, when you open your heart? But that's how we have to live in the church. We have to live with open hearts forgiving quickly, forgiving easily, and always overlooking our offenses so that we can build together in this wonderful thing that God has for us. So for Paul, having expressed um, his prayerful hopes for the Philippian church, he now turns in the next few verses to talk about himself. I suppose it's a bit like that. You say in your greeting letter, you say, hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well, blah, 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 blah. Except Paul was doing well and he wasn't doing well. And he was about to tell them something of how he was doing. And we read, um, if we can put up that verse, Philippians 1, verse 12 to 14. So that's what I'm going to look at today. Where he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the verse 12 says these words, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul really wanted to reassure his friends that he was doing okay, as they would have been really deeply concerned when they heard some of the things that he had been going through um, and that he had suffered a great deal and was now imprisoned in Rome. So what actually happened to Paul? What was he experiencing? Well, it all started when on his missionary journeys, he reached Jerusalem. And it tells us in Acts 21 verses 17, it says, The Holy Spirit forewarned him that imprisonment and afflictions were awaiting him there. 
I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of word you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, is it? You know, we always, uh, we, uh, um, I love prophecy because prophecy says it's there to encourage, to comfort, and to edify. But sometimes God says, you're going to go through a tough time. I've had prophecies like that, and I think, I don't want to hear that. And yet God sometimes tells us that because he wants us to anticipate that he knows already what we're going to go through. We are not just caught up in some whirlwind. God is with us because he knows the beginning and he knows the end. So Paul hears this word from the Holy Spirit speak to him, and it was not long before trouble ensued. And uh, we see that he was nearly lynched by a religious mob because, like Anne said, he had been telling them that these idols were worthless and uh, they didn't like that. And in, in, and in Rome, also, those who were of the, the Judaizers didn't like that he was preaching that you didn't need to follow the law. So he was nearly lynched and ended up in a Roman prison. If you were arrested, it was the, the what was done was that you were usually flogged with lashes before you were thrown into prison. And fortunately, Paul just escaped that having been done to him because he pleaded that he was a Roman citizen, so he wasn't flayed and flogged. Um, he had a plot fueled against him by deceit, injustice, and malice, misrepresentation. And you could just imagine if you were caught up in a court case where everyone was conspiring to be against you. That was what uh, Paul was experiencing. It was beyond belief what kind of vilification he was under during that time. And then, to make matters worse, he had gone through that terrible ordeal, and then he's being transported to Rome on a ship, and he's caught up in a freak storm where he nearly loses his life. Uh, I don't know what, how traumatic it must be to be in the high seas and to have these waves pounding on your boat and to think, is this your last moment? And then Paul gets dragged to Rome where he, he has a trial which, which lasts for two years. Imagine being in jail, not knowing what the outcome is going to be. You sit in jail for two long years thinking what's going to happen. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of a picture of what Roman imprisonment was like, and it's certainly not a picture for the squeamish. But uh, as I said, it was always preceded by the victim being stripped down and flogged, a humiliating, painful, and bloody ordeal. And then the bleeding was left untreated. They were just thrown into the... Um, uh, they would put uh, iron wrists... Uh, uh, what would you say? shackles, thank you, on their wrists and their feet, and uh, they were left in that mutilated blood-stained clothing and just thrown into the prison, and they stayed there through winter, summer, all through the seasons. We, we read at one point that Paul asked for a cloak uh, to be given to him because he was so cold in the winter. Most of the cells were dark, especially the inner cells of the prison, like the one where Paul and Silas were locked up in Philippi. Um, unbearably cold, no water, very small ventilation, cramped quarters, lots of people, the sickening stench of too few toilets. They probably couldn't have slept very well. Imagine sleeping with your hands in shackled and your feet shackled, and the waking hours were really miserable. So... Not a pretty sight, not a pretty thing to endure. 
and nevertheless still in these very inhumane conditions, still chained, Paul says these amazing words. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so here is the first and probably noteworthy truth we can learn from Paul's example. And I just want to say before I say these different things, this has been incredibly challenging to me. I, I felt like this sermon was timeless for me personally. I felt like God was helping me through some of the things I'm struggling through to learn from Paul. But I, I don't think that it's an easy thing, but it, I, I really felt there's some things we can grow in. And the first thing is that the Christian is to be a person of confidence no matter what. No matter what we face, the Christian is, is to be a person of confidence. Because one really is struck by Paul's confidence in his day of trouble. It's vitally important for us as Christians to have confidence and assurance in God at every stage in life. And we'll all go through stages. We'll go through the good times. We'll go through the testing times. We'll go through the bad times. But God says, I want your confidence to stay strong, your confidence in me. God wants us to have a boldness and a confidence in him in every single circumstance. You see, in the opening prayers, which Ant looked at a few weeks ago, Paul showed how his confidence in God is at work because he knows that God is at work bringing to completion that which he has begun in him. And so he expects God's continuing protection for himself and for his friends. If that becomes a, a solid foundation for our life, that simple little verse, he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion, allows every season of our lives to find sense. It allows every season to have a sense of purpose. You see, Paul's assurance that all the terrible calamities and the adversity that he has experienced, they will work towards a greater good for the sake of the gospel. And this shows his unrelenting confidence in the sovereignty of God. Even when nothing else makes sense and his life has been pushed to the very brink of death itself. I don't know about you, have you ever been in one of those situations in your life where you just think, why is this happening to me? Uh, why after this and this happens, why does this have to happen? And we begin to question, we begin to try and understand and make sense of the things that happen to us. Paul is sitting in a rotting pit of a pr prison and he's not depressed. He's not grumbling and he is sure that things will turn out well for him. He has confidence. I don't always get that right. <laughs> and I want to say confidence is not the same as optimism. Because I know in my own life, I'm an optimistic person. I always feel like it'll turn out okay. Because I'm just basically optimistic. But I think this is something different here. This is Paul saying, I'm not just being pie in the sky optimistic. I am assured that because I know God and I know his character, everything will work out well. It's not just a glib um, assertion of being positive. It really is an assurance in God's faithfulness. So I personally find this a most inspiring and challenging example. You know, we, we often speak about resilience 
as a key quality for those who are able to push through the hardest of life's traumas and challenges. Uh, I would like to define resilience as that ability to not allow circumstances to define us or have the final say in the outcome of our sense of purpose or significance. Sometimes when life hits you, you can start to see yourself as the victim. You can start to see yourself as the one that has been unfairly treated, and that may be true, but resilience is that thing that says, no, that's not going to define me. That's not going to be the breaking of me. This is going to be the making of me. Paul had a resilience not because he thought he was exceptionally clever or adept at being in prison. I mean, I want to ask you, how could anyone not be affected by such terrible conditions? He wasn't some superhuman that actually the rats and the stink didn't affect him. That's not true. That's not a real picture. Yet he had a, a peace and a patience that came from, from knowing that the God who called him was greater than his circumstance. And that in the end, God's purposes would prevail. Paul lived for a purpose that was beyond his physical, mental, and emotional trials. He knew that there was something that even the most horrible sufferings could not touch. He knew the good news that we are new creations in Christ, that we are no longer under the power of sin and death, but we've been brought into a living hope that will never fade or die. So I want to ask you this morning, just as I've been asking myself as I've been preparing this message, what motivates your resilience in times of testing and struggle? Are you trying to lean on yourself? Because I find myself is not a very strong thing to keep me going. What keeps you going? You know, it's true for every single believer, not just for Paul, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It's a very simple thing. God rules. God rules. I, I think it's uh, when I go into the schools with STEP, we often do a lesson on suffering and on the reasons for suffering. And I'm sure you've all heard those kind of sermons before that we live in a fallen world. There's the sin of people that can impact us. Um, all of those things come against us in our lives. And those are very hard to face sometimes. And we've got to deal with those things where there's sickness and all of those kinds of things. And I, I've, I've, I'm of the strong conviction that God doesn't cause evil. God doesn't cause those things to, to come against us. But he, in his sovereignty and his wisdom, he allows them for the, the shaping and the making of us and to shape us into being like his son, Jesus. And uh, if you know in, in Isaiah and in Malachi, there's these two wonderful images, the one of God as a potter with the clay and other one of him as the refiner with the, with the silver, refining the silver in, in the fire. And um, I love these words that uh, Moitus says. He says that, um, I just want to find it. He says that, the pressures of life are the hands of the potter, who is our father. The fires of life are those of the refiner. 
So God doesn't cause those fires, but he allows them to come and shape us. I once heard a teaching about a silversmith, and uh, someone went along to learn a bit more how silver is refined. And so they have a tiny little spoon or shovel with a, with a little bit of um, silver rests on it, and then they hold it into the hottest part of the fire. And uh, the guy was standing next to the, the silversmith, and he asked him, you know, how, long, how do you know how long you, you hold it into the fire? And he said, oh, it's very easy. I look when I can see my reflection in the silver, and then I know it's been refined of all its impurities. And I know that's a, a physical picture, but there is something of we, we don't always know why, and it doesn't always make sense, but through our fieriest hottest trials, God is forming his image in us. He's forming something of his character in us and in our lives. And um, I want to say that God never abandons the perfecting process in our lives to others. He doesn't say, oh, I'm, I'm not really watching over you. You're just caught up in the, uh, the, the flow of all that's happening in your life. Nor is he ever in his sovereign greatness knocked off course by the malpractice of evil people or by the weakness of good people or any circumstance that nature might unfurl towards us. God is not knocked off course. He knows his plan for you. He has you in mind. He never, you, are, you never leave God's mind. You know, sometimes we can get distracted and we get busy with other things. God is busy with the whole world, but he, you, you are in his mind constantly, every minute, every second of the day. And he is mindful towards you and his purposes being unfolded. You know, Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not so human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Some of you are holding on to promises that you've heard God give you. And you're going, God, when? God, why? He is not a man that he should lie. And if he's made you a promise, he will fulfill his promise. And I want to assure you that of this morning, because Christians are those that stay confident in God no matter what, no matter what. So for, in order for us to grow in our resilience through the tests and the hardships that come our way, we need to grow not in our self-confidence, but our unreserved reliance upon the goodness and the unrelenting grace of God towards us. Grace of, of God. I believe that Paul's theology is summarized in Romans 8, 28, his theology of suffering. Um, and uh, do you remember lovely Artie Kendall? Um, those of you who remember when he came, that's Artie Kendall's favorite verse. So whenever he signs a, an email or a letter, he always says Romans 8, 28. Um, and he wrote this wonderful book that transformed my life when I was probably in my early 20s, just married. He wrote about the life of Joseph. And there's these amazing words where Joseph is thrown into the pits He's thrown into prison. He goes through this terrible ordeal. And he says these words at the end of his life when his brothers come to reveal themselves at, at, uh, at Pharaoh's um, uh, palace. It says, What you, intended, you may have intended this for harm, 
but God intended it for good. God intended it for good. And so Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that in all things, now think about your life, all things, that's the good things, it's the, the things that are neither here nor there, and the bad things, all things, that's what we can say as Christians, all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called, called according to his purpose. It's not an easy theology, but it's the most confident, comforting theology. It's assurance that in the end, all will work out well. Though Paul does not know whether he will live or die, he believes that God will overrule the events that are happening in his life. The gospel is going out, and he's happy about that. So Paul said, that is the root for me. That's why I have confidence. And the second thing we can learn from Paul's example is that Christians may expect some surprising turn of events in what happens to them. Our lives are not predictable, are they? I mean, I think of uh, five years ago, I saw on Facebook, doesn't Facebook come and give you a reminder every now and then of what you posted five years ago? And uh, saw in September, the, a few weeks ago, this little picture came up of our son Matt with his head bandaged after brain surgery and just thinking, we never anticipated that that would come across our path. You don't know what life is going to throw at you. Um, we need to expect surprising turns of events. And I'm not being pessimistic here, and I'm not speaking negative things over you at all. But I want to speak hope over you, because those things don't need to make us fearful. We don't need to be afraid. Paul says that what happened to me actually turned out for the advantage of the gospel. The word actually means instead of what was expected. If you're thrown in prison and you're beaten and flogged and you actually nearly die in a shipwreck, that's pretty traumatic, wouldn't you say? But Paul is able to say, actually, what was actually going to happen didn't, isn't what happened in the end. Something else happened. You see, often in our service with, for God, when things are going wrong, they are actually going right. And I want you to look at your life and to think of some of the things that are going wrong. You think, everything's going wrong. Everything's falling apart. But actually, you wait and see. Actually, everything is going to turn out right. And this can be really hard when again and again in the Christian life there are tragedies or there are accidents, whether big or small accidents, and they seem to be working and conspiring against us. Yet after a while, we'll begin to see that they are working out for the advantage of us and of God's precious gospel. You see, when the news came to the Philippian church that Paul had been arrested in Rome, many of the Christians throughout the Roman Empire heard about it because he was a high-profiled figure. And for many, they were incredibly discouraged by his being arrested. They just thought, here's our champion. He's spreading the gospel. He's going from country to country, and now he's in jail. They were very discouraged. 
everyone knew that Paul wanted to take the gospel to Rome. That was his aim and that his final objective. And here he was in prison, sitting in a jail. And then came the surprising turn of events. Everyone in the imperial guard or the praetorium, which was the select brigade of guards or soldiers who worked directly with the emperor, they got to know about this unusual prisoner who was in jail, and it began to feel a great interest in the gospel. Why is this man in jail? What is happening? And they begin to ask questions. And Paul began to have an opportunity to share his faith with these elite soldiers. And eventually, because he was awaiting trial before Caesar, he got to share the good news about Jesus with the highest, it's like one of the top leaders of the superpowers going to Putin or, or Trump and being able to share the gospel. There was this uh, amazing opportunity to bring something into what was a, an essentially a godless world. You see, Paul knew that no matter what, God was engineering the things that he had planned for him. And it will be the same for us. When things go wrong, when things are going wrong, they are actually going right. Can you say that over your life? When things are going wrong, they are actually going right because there's someone else in the driving seat. Um, I, won't, I won't say to you that circumstances are going to be easy because that's not the gospel. But God has a strange way of forwarding his gospel Sometimes things happen to us, there may be major disasters, but then as we keep our eyes open and we begin to watch, we will see ways in which God will turn it around. The most awful tragedies can have the advantage for the gospel to be fully formed in us so that our very lives become a testimony of what God can do in our most weak and broken places. We all have weak and broken places. I do. And some of those places I think, God, I don't feel much like a testimony for your gospel when I'm feeling depressed or sad. But then I know God is doing something greater because actually, actually it's going to turn out well. Actually God is doing something good. If you're going to have a key word for this week going ahead, I want it to be actually. When you're tempted to say, oh, this is terrible, I want you to say, but actually, God is going to do something great in this situation, but actually. And then the third thing I want to say is the Christian's deepest concern is to be a testimony and for evangelism. Notice that in everything that Paul says that his great passion is evangelism. More than anything in the world, he wants the news about Jesus to be spread, and he's more than willing to suffer imprisonment as long as it is for the advantage of the gospel. And Paul is also concerned that everyone else is wor working towards this vision of proclaiming the good news about Jesus. As he says these words, he says, the majority of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged by my imprisonment to speak the word more boldly. And this delights Paul. 
You see, Christian evangelism, as we know, we've said this so many times, is not the work of the preachers or paid evangelists or ordained ministers. Every single one of us is a minister of the gospel. God's gifts of uh, apostles and pastors are there to equip the saints so that we can be able to go and share our faith, go and, sh uh, go and tell people about Jesus. Every single one of us is a co-worker with Christ. And every Christian is some kind of evangelist. Not maybe in a paid capacity, but just because it's later on in Philippians, Paul uses these words, we hold forth the word of life. All of us hold forth the word of life. We are all evangelists. So not only is Paul reaching out to others with the gospel, but his example is rousing others to do the same. If Paul is willing to suffer, then they are also willing to suffer if need be as well. I think it's really important that we begin to see our lives as missional, that we are sent by God. God is sending us out into the world as his messengers of hope. And it's a good way to start our day, isn't it? To start your day and get up and ask the Lord, God, who are you sending me to today? Who do you want me to have a conversation with today? Who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to reach out to? What is my assignment today? Um, it's not mission impossible. <laughs> it's mission doable because we have Christ with us and he's teaching us. He gives us the words. He shows us what he wants us to do. And we can ask the simple question, how can the trials that I'm going through be a source of comfort and hope for someone else. I, I have learned that in my life, God has brought so many people across my path because of the hard things that I've gone through. I have so much more understanding and compassion because uh, that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't gone through that. Whether that be grief in your life or loss or breakdown or whatever it might be. Maybe you've lost a relationship that's important to you. Maybe illness, whatever it might be, as you find victory in your life, that becomes your testimony and it becomes a thing that you can use to help others find hope in their lives. You are God's co-worker, you are his sent one, and he's doing that in you. And then the last point I want to make is that the Christian must expect to make progress amidst troubles. If we are waiting for everything to be smooth before we feel like we're growing as a Christian, well, it doesn't work that way. How many of you find actually when it's going hardest is when you're growing most? <laughs> and when it's quiet, you just like coast along and watch too much telly. <laughs> but, but there's something of when trials come our way, it urges us into that place of prayer. It urges us into that place of overcoming in our lives. So in these verses... Paul's been talking about his troubles in jail by saying that he has been in chains for the sake of Christ. This is such a different expectation to the kind of gospel that's preached in so much of the Western church today. Um, I, I'm really saddened when I, uh, over the years, I've chatted to different people where I've heard them say that because they're Christians, they expect that no hard things will ever come into their lives. And I feel like that's not a true gospel that they've received. 
we have a um, we often hear messages that that God is here for our prosperity and our material comfort but the truth is that the blessings of God do not preclude hardship and suffering and have I been blessed by God I can say so wonderfully God has taken care of us and our family beyond expectation and I'm so delighted we were able to move into our new home uh, this last week and I just feel I just feel thank you Lord you've been so kind to us and I know all of you can say God has been your provider he's been your sustainer but it doesn't say that you will never have hard times and uh, I grew up in a very sheltered home um, where I thought life is good and everyone loves me. <laughs> and then I got out into the world and I thought, not everyone likes me, oh. <laughs> and then I, I realized that actually some hard things also happen. And those were kind of, that kind of way of seeing the world, rose-tinted lenses, doesn't really help you for life because then you really get knocked when bad things happen. But there's a sense in which when we know that actually Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Although sometimes even in our lives, our own sin can open the door to suffering, there's also much that's beyond our control. And it's in these times that we really do need a robust theology to see God's sovereignty despite our circumstances. This means that we need to make progress as Christians, even in difficult days, even when everything seems to conspire against us, even when our reputation is misjudged or we feel broken and cast down. You see, a trouble-free life is not likely to be our privilege yet. It's something we get to enjoy in heaven one day where it says, and Jesus will wipe away every tear. There will be no tears in heaven. But now we take one step at a time. We go forward little by little. We trust God for his breakthrough. We trust God for his healing. We trust God for heaven to break through into, uh, on earth here as it is in heaven. And we start to see his victories and his overcoming. You know that it's not that you suffering that is your testimony. It's about what God's going to do for you in your suffering. There's nothing to rejoice about suffering. Let's not say suffering is a good thing. It's a horrible thing. But you'll be amazed what God does despite your suffering. And through your suffering, he's going to do amazing things. That is your testimony when you see what God will do. For the moment, it's likely that we are to be amidst tribulations but it's in this place that we're going to find advancement. We're going to be strengthened. We're going to have progress in the kingdom of God. When, in leading this church now for, we've been in church leadership for nearly 25 years, but we've been leading this church for 18 years. And, uh, you know, church life has its ups and its downs and its good and bad seasons. But I want to say that the most difficult seasons have shaped us into the stronger and better leaders because we've had to learn how to humble ourselves, how to depend on God. So sometimes those things that are hardest in our lives are the things that actually make us stronger and closer to the Lord. Like Paul, we all find ourselves in chains of one kind or another. But if we keep our eyes open, 
we shall notice that God means it for good. It will turn out well for God, for ourselves, and for the advancement of the gospel. Amen? Amen.